Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast, your go-to source for insights and strategies in the HVAC, plumbing, and roofing industries. I'm Corey Barrier, here to guide you through transformative approaches to business and mindset. Each episode will explore unique methods, focusing on identifying and addressing the core challenges in your field. Our goal is to equip you and your team with practical solutions that foster growth and success. So whether you're tuning in for the first time or you're a longtime listener, get ready to dive into a wealth of knowledge and expertise. Let's begin our journey to success together. This is the successful life. It's Corey Barrier. Yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn. Apply it to your life. It's your turn. To live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Three, Successful Life Podcast is a space where you can hear stories from badass entrepreneurs and influencers that collectively have millions of listeners and followers. You get to hear their backstories and where they are currently. We discuss how precious your life is and crucial it is to live with a purpose and die knowing the person looking in the mirror today. This is the successful life. Corey Barrier, yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn. Apply it to your life. It's your turn to live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast. I am your host, and I'm here with Ben Newman. What's up, Ben? How are you? Corey, man, it's great to be with you. Great to be with all your listeners. I appreciate the opportunity. Ready to roll. Yeah, dude. I have, um, you know, I've talked back and forth with Ben for, gosh, probably a good, I would say it's close to a year. And, and oh, this, yeah. is what, this is what I love about Ben. Sorry to interrupt you, Ben. What I love about Ben is that every time I send him a message just about, he replies. And I know it's him because he says, <laughs> because he says one thing. That that makes me know that it is him. What is that? One day at a time. And the reason I know that is because I've been sober over ten years. Now <laughs> I know I know that's not your story because I asked you and you said it was your father. Your father, maybe? Yeah, correct. Yeah. So um, you know, I one thing one thing that I don't know about you, Ben, is I I don't know your whole backstory. I know what you do now because it's exciting yep. as shit and. You're fucking, you just go at it hard, 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 hard and get up at 3 a.m. And I love it. It's awesome. You grind like shit and you make it home by six o'clock, which is pretty fucking amazing. Yep. Like, that's, I mean, that, that, that's actually late. Usually I'm home by, uh, by five, by five. And, uh, you know, I'm picking up the kids at school when I can, you know, three, three thirty, four o'clock. Wow. I mean, that's insane. Like your football seasons are ridiculously insane now what happens the other time like when you're not having when when at when you're not at alabama or kansas what what are you doing uh yeah. meaning like when that's over yeah so it's but believe it or not a lot of people don't realize is that a uh a college football season actually lasts the entire year <laughs> so uh, you know depending upon you know how far the team goes in the playoffs i mean your off-season training is going to start that third to fourth week of January. So there's really not a big break. You know, you're not – there's not a game schedule. It's not every week we're having games. But, you know, there's consistent training. I mean, my first off-season visit for Alabama is going to be in two weeks. 
I've already been to Kansas State once. I'll be back to Kansas State, you know, two times during spring ball. So it, it's a constant go, go, go. But to answer your question, when it, it's not football season, you know, my corporate work, you know, has always been a huge driver of what we do, which is really back in 2006 when I got paid to speak for the first time. I'm that, I'm that overnight success story that you always hear about. So in 2006, when I got paid for the first time, that was all corporate. I didn't do anything in the sports world till 2011. Wow. So even today, I mean, I did a keynote in Fargo, North Dakota yesterday. I've got a few keynotes next week. I mean, I'm doing a keynote presentation typically every week somewhere. And then when I'm back home, you know, it's a lot of family time. And then I'm on the phone with our coaching clients from the world of business and sports. So it's, it's a pretty rigorous uh, fast-paced schedule, but I, I wouldn't want it any other way. Yeah, I you know I get that. I really do get that because when when things are slow, you know your mind or my mind. I don't know about you, but my mind just starts churning as to what I can do to get busy. You know what I mean? I don't have yeah. time where I'm like laying around doing nothing because it's there's just too much to do. There's too much yeah. to experience, and 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 I don't understand when people. And, and I'm not dogging people that do this. Like, if that's your thing, that's your thing. But to, to lay – football is a great example. You know, Ben, I didn't play fantasy football this year because the team that I normally play on, they didn't have a team. So, um, so I found that my interest in watching NFL football was far less than it has ever been. And quite frankly, mm. I, I – figured out I don't I I think I can I, I like getting more shit done during that time <laughs> than I do watching the football game see I so when it comes to NFL football I can't do that because those are uh, those are work days for me as much as I enjoy the game of football I got sure. I gotta stay locked in on uh, <clears throat> on Sundays but I totally get it you know it brings up an interesting point you know we're starting this all talking about me and I I, I prefer to tailor everything back to your listeners and you know, the reality is we can highlight all the great things, you know, for me, or I work with this team or that team, or I speak on this stage. But at the end of the day, for all of us, it comes down to, are we challenging ourselves on a daily basis to be our very best? That's where that one day at a time comes for me. Are we surrounding ourselves with the individuals that really, truly challenge us to do that? And then are, are we living in a world where we realize, like, you're writing the story of your legacy. And, and, and I say this knowing that I want this to feel like a one-on-one -on -one coaching opportunity for all of us. You know, I can't see anybody raise their hands or nod their heads. You know, but for everybody, you know, listening, we all say, here's what I want my legacy to be. Here's what I want my story to be. Here's who I want to impact. But we have to make sure every day that it's not just words. What is our action? Right? What is our daily action? Because everybody's going to tell us how they, great they want to be. But when I have a conversation with your action, your daily disciplines, that's when I really figure out how, how bad you truly want it. Yeah. You know, I agree with you. So, you know, I, I know your, your morning routine is, is, is that you get up at 3 a.m. I don't. I get up at 4.30. But, hey, to me, that's my 3 a.m. Um, or that's shit. I guess that's somebody's 7. <laughs> right. You know, um, and, and I have certain things that I do. And I do them, you know, I'm, I'm weird, I guess. I don't know. I do them all in order. I, I always read first. And then, you know, out of a personal development book, which kind of got me on that path with 75 hard um, because, dude, I'm not a reader. I can tell you that right now. I am now. 
Um, and then I journal every morning. And then um, I do, uh, there's a priming thing through Tony Robbins. I don't know if you know, I know you know Tony Robbins, of course. But I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, the priming thing that he takes people through. Um, so I've had such good success with it because it takes you through gratitude and it lets, makes you think, really reflect back on the things that are important. And so that takes about, that portion takes about 15 minutes, but my overall is about an hour and a half of just me working on me when I first get up in the morning. Yeah. And I don't turn that damn phone on until I have to use that priming thing at all. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Mo- morning, morning routine is, <clears throat> is so important. And, you know, so many individuals, you know, if you're first engaging in a conversation, it's coaching type work. It's you're really understanding what motivates somebody, what gets them to tick, what they really want. You know, one of the excuses when we really get real with each other is, you know, I'm running out of time. You know, it just it's not working into my calendar yet. People don't realize the power of taking your time back and they don't extrapolate the math of what taking your time back actually means. So I used to be the guy who woke up at 6.30, having to be at the office at 7.30, because I knew 6.30 was the perfect time where I could still hit the snooze button three times and still make it to the office by 7.30, right? And I'd be running around and sweating and not eating or drinking coffee or, you know, being present and focused with my wife before I left for work and just run, 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 run. And I'd make it at 7.30 and I'd say, oh, it's okay, I made it, right? And then what would happen is I'd get a voicemail or something to start my day that threw me off. It was a challenge. It was an adversity. And then all of a sudden the day's gone, right? And then you're dealing with it and you're not mentally prepared to handle it. And I started taking back 30 minute blocks of time. And I recognized that a 30 minute block of time. And at that point in time, I wasn't training the way that I do, but I started doing sit-ups. I started doing push-ups. I started reading a book that's very important to me, reading affirmations, getting a breakfast, being present and focused with my wife, all in that 30 minutes. But that 30 minutes times five days in a week was two and a half hours a week times four weeks in a month was 10 hours a month. It was an extra day a month. Now extrapolate that out of the course of a year, that's 12 extra days. Most people work 15, 16, 17, 18 days. It's almost an extra month by waking up 30 minutes earlier. And so one of the things we have to do, we have to be honest with ourselves, take back our time, take back the ownership of the decisions that we make, and make a conscious decision to change your life if you want it bad enough. That's true, dude. You're right. Dude, that's a great, that is such a fantastic point about taking your time back. I really didn't know where you were going with that. But that, that's, uh, that's awesome because, you know, if you're absolutely right. You're 100% right. I mean, it's, I don't know, it's uh, 11.15 almost. And, I mean, I've, today I think I got up at 5. I, I slept in 30 minutes longer than normal because we stayed up till 11. 15 last night which I absolutely despise but sometimes you just have to do those things um but I've been going ever ever since I after I finished all my morning stuff I'm in I'm working with China on a deal with it's uh, on some equipment and so I've literally been back and forth which is a great time to chat with China it is early in the morning because they're still they're ending their day um and so but I got so much work done in this little amount of time and and I still have the whole day left. Yep. So that's a great point though. That's a great point. Um when you uh we when you were waking up at six thirty, were you overweight? Uh 
Uh, no, I definitely wasn't overweight. I mean, I was I was in shape, but not uh, certainly not the shape that I'm in. Uh, I'm in now. I was 125 pounds in fifth grade, and uh, I, I was a big, big, big boy. And uh, when I started getting athletic in sixth, seventh grade, and learning what it meant to eat right and to do those things, uh, I, I vowed that I would never get back to uh, to being heavy again. Dude, you know what? Seven uh, between that's so ironic. Between my sixth and seventh year, I was a fat kid. Yeah, um, me too. <clears throat> but that was when I that's when I made my change. That's when I um and I've I've been well I've written a book, I haven't published it yet, but that's part of it is that first story was about me being in uh between sixth and seventh grade and going out to the swimming pool at a, the pool party at the end of the year and these girls were asking me to jump up and down the diving board and my, my boobs were shaking. And yeah. I thought, I thought they thought I was cute, but, but they didn't, they were doing it to make fun of me. And when mm. I realized that I was devastated and I was like, you know, I don't, I don't know if the exact word was fuck this, but that's how I felt. And so from that day forward, I, I started at the time I was eating everything fat free because that's the only thing we knew. Um, and I lost the weight, and I will, like you said, I will never go back. I have one number on the scale. If I ever hit that number, I dial it back immediately. Yeah. So I, uh, I, I'm the same as you. I had, uh, you know, my, my boobs were probably a similar size, and uh, you know, thank God now we call them pets today. They're not. <laughs> they're not. <laughs> right. Not, not so boobs true. anymore. But I'll tell you what. You know, you, you bring that up. I bring it up, and we can laugh now because we've made a conscious choice to do something about it. And for those of you that are listening, where maybe you're struggling with weight, maybe you're struggling with being behind in work, you know, put a stake in the ground just like we did at that point in time and make now a defining moment where you say, I'm not going to choose to continue to live this way. I'm going to choose to change my behavior. And whether it takes you one year or two years or three years to actually achieve those goals, just believe in yourself. Take it one day at a time. Attack it. You know, we all know the things that we need to do on a daily basis. It's whether or not we choose to actually do them. That's absolutely right. I mean, you know, you walk to the refrigerator and you, you you pull out a gallon of milk and you eat cereal every morning. You know that that's not probably the best thing for you. I don't care what the hell the cereal box says. I don't care what brand it is at this point. It, it's all shit. Um, and then, you know, what a lot of people don't even think of and, 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 you know, my background is in health and fitness. So, you know, to tell somebody there's 12 grams of sugar in a cup of milk, which is bizarre in fat-free milk. That's yeah. bizarre. <laughs> and so you got to look at little things like that. And, and, and like you said, it's, it's never too late. It's never too late because guess what? You may not have tomorrow. And yeah. if you don't put that stake in the ground, like you're talking about, then guess what? Tomorrow is going to come much quicker. I mean, I'm sorry. The, the next, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. No, the I, end, I, the I, end I, is coming quicker. I, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think for all of us, we're all a work in progress that we're all having a different story that we're writing. And that's why it's so important. You have to stay in your lane, you know, success for me, whether I'm working with a professional athlete, collegiate athlete, somebody in business, you know, I just want that individual at the end of the day to have the ability to look in the mirror and say, today I gave it my very best. And if you have the ability to do that, that is how winning is done. And it's no different for me. I mean, last April, I hired a second coach. I've had a paid coach since I was 25 years old. Now I have two coaches. I read 24 books last year. I am certainly 
far as hell from figuring this game of life out. And I also have mentors that I will never catch. And I know coming from an inspirational, motivational guy, that's like, well, that's not a positive statement. No, it is a positive statement. You know, if you have a mentor that your goal is to catch that mentor and you realistically can catch that mentor, you got the wrong mentor. You need a mentor. You need a mentor that's going to work so damn hard and provide such a perspective and such a vision for you that by the time you double your business, they've doubled theirs. And that's the mentor that I have in my life. And I'm so grateful and thankful for John Gordon because he continues to push and to stretch me to recognize that we're just getting started. And that's all of us, no matter what level of success we've achieved. That's a great point, dude. That's a great point. Let's talk, let's talk about when you said the first time you got paid to speak, where was that and what, how, how was that? Because I, the reason I ask is because I, I wasn't paid, but we, yep. uh, some of our RTA people put on um, um, a, a gig in Atlanta a couple of weeks back and we had Charlie Rocket there. He spoke. Mm. Um, and we had another guy, Gianni, he spoke, but, but I got to speak for the first time and it, uh, you know, three things, I brought up three things that I probably will not bring up again (laughs) during this speech (laughs) because, you know, when I, when I think about certain things in my life, Ben, I, you know, my emotions sometimes get the best of me and sometimes, you know, the tears just, they just roll. And, and so my best friend of 18 years was there and he planted the seed for me to get sober. And I didn't recognize that until I was standing up there. And when I said that, and then said that to him, that's when it started. And then I talked about coming to the syndicate meeting uh, in October. And that was another time that it was a life changing event for me. And then another time was when my wife, I had just, uh, found out that I was going to uh, depart my uh, hormone clinic, not by my choice, um, but it was by far the best thing that could have ever happened. Um, and I was supposed to go see Tony Robbins and my wife, I, I was supposed to pay for the ticket with my pay, my check that week or whatever. And, and the guy didn't pay me. And so mm-hmm. I didn't think I was going to be able to go and my wife worked it out. And, those three moments were such defining moments in my life that I'll never forget them ever. And so I brought them up, brought all three of them up on stage and it was just, I cried like a fucking baby. So I'll share with you. There's nothing wrong with that. I cry when I watch extreme home makeover. So I'm a pretty emotional. (laughs) I'm a pretty, I'm an emotional dude myself. And, you know, those of you that are listening that might know my story, many people don't, but I lost my mother 11 days before my eighth birthday. My parents were divorced when I was six months old. Uh, my mom had a rare muscle disease called amyloidosis. Her last year living, we had 24-hour nursing care in our house. She came to the dinner table with an IV stand to ask me how my day was at school. And so for me, I'm a very, very emotional guy. My mom taught me the greatest life lesson. She had a journal where she wrote, beat the statistics, beat the odds, live with a disease that is chronic and fatal, believe in yourself, combat anything, purpose in life. I mean, my mother taught me what it means to fight. Wow. And so I, I'm, I'm attempting every day to continue to write the story of her legacy. And I, I bring this up to connect with you, but with everybody. Everybody has a story. I've got a story. You've got a story. What you just shared provides perspective that you can fight through anything. My mother's story provides perspective. Whatever pain 
your listeners have been through, it provides perspective. But when I first started speaking, I used to cry like a baby too. I was in San Francisco one time and a guy actually walked up with tissues and I'm like, how damn embarrassing is this? He was walking <laughs> up. Well, he, was, he was sitting right in the front row and he comes up and he's like, man, here's a couple tissues. And so what I actually used to do, this is a little trick for those of you that might be emotional if you're speaking from a stage. I used to imagine that I had a pin in my hand and I was actually jamming that pin into my finger. So I, I didn't actually have a pin, but I, I psychologically psyched myself up to believe I had this pin. So when I would start telling the story, I would kind of, you know, jam that pin into my finger to, you know, toughen me up a little bit. And then the, the more uh, times that I've told the story, I mean, shoot, I, I shared my mother's story a couple thousand times from the stage you know, now it's just you, you learn to contain that emotion. There's periods of time. I mean, those, those tears still come, but uh, not the way that they once did. So you shouldn't be embarrassed, man. There, there's nothing wrong with transparency. There's nothing wrong with showing your emotion. If anything, it shows people that you're real. You know, most people get an opportunity to go on stage. And they want to say, here's how great I am. Look at me. Look at the great stuff I've done. People want to know that you're real. People want to know you've been knocked down. People want to know you've had your challenge. My opportunity to be with you and all your listeners is not because I work for the Alabama football program. It's not because I work for Kansas State. It's not because I work with NFL teams. It's because I've been knocked down in my life and shaken to the core personally and professionally and been blessed to have a strong relationship with God and, and amazing mentors and a great family in my life to pick my ass up when I didn't think I could go anymore. Yeah, without a doubt. So tell me, tell me a little bit about, you know, Ben, tell me a little bit more about your, you know, your story, because like you said, I don't know how many listeners know. I know that I don't really know all your background. You know, I I know some of the highlights, of course, because I see it on, you know, I see it on social, but outside of that, I just know that you're a great fucking dude. First of all, I know that for (laughs) sure. Um, I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, you've, you connected with me. And, and you didn't even know who I was, like I said, a long time ago. And you've always been amazing. So, um, but, but I don't know your story. So let's tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so I, I had to grow up fast. You know, like, like I mentioned earlier, we all have a story. So I'll, I'll answer the question. I'll share mine. But as I share my story, <clears throat> I want all of you to think about your story and to think about how you can reframe and shift to the positive in your life. And so I had to grow up fast, parents divorced when I was six months old, never knew my parents together. You know, in 1983, my mother was diagnosed with this rare muscle disease called amyloidosis. Each and every single one of you in your muscles, you have amyloids. You have an excess of them, you have this disease, amyloidosis. Obviously, your heart is a muscle, so it's going to eat away at your heart, and it's going to take your life. Fast forward, even to this day, there's still no cure for, for amyloidosis, and My mother was told that she was only the second woman under 40 years old they'd ever seen or heard of having the disease, and they gave her two to four years to live. Yet what I shared with you about purpose and beating the – that comes right out of her journal, which is in the safe right to the left of me right here at my home office. And those words have helped me shape my life, shape how I show up. And I remember so many incredible things about my mom, but when I was given that journal by my grandma when I was in college – It made me realize the strength that my mother had, the courage my mother had, the perseverance, the conviction. And I used to say that my mother lost her fight with amyloidosis November 2nd, 1986. But I had a mentor of mine one time say, man, don't allow those words to come out of your mouth ever again. Your mother never lost a fight. And so now 
my mother taught me how to fight. My mother has, has instilled in me what I call the burn. It's this underlying burn. There's so many speakers and coaches that do the work that we do, and they talk about why and purpose, and they're missing the opportunity to go deeper to truly understand how somebody's wired. And I believe we all have this burn inside of us, which actually lights that why and that purpose on fire, which then causes us to take the necessary daily action to perform at our highest level. And so for me, that burn is wanting to carry on my mother's story to be the best father, the best husband, the, the very best coach, the very best friend, just the best I can be in all areas of my life just one day at a time. This episode of the Successful Life Podcast is brought to you by House Call Pro. Whether you're looking to streamline your operations, reduce paperwork, or boost revenue, House Call Pro is your all-in-one business solution. Transform your business today with essential tools and support designed to drive efficiency and deliver exceptional customer service. To learn more, click the link in the show notes. Yeah. I agree with you. And I, I often wonder, you know, how many people never get to that burn part? How many people never dig deep enough to find out what, you know, because you do hear people throw around the purpose and the why and, 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 and maybe they, everybody, maybe everybody that says it do, does know what that means for them. I don't know. But um, I, I wonder, I wonder how many people truly do go deep enough. Cause you can tell, right. You can tell when somebody knows what their true purpose is. You know, when somebody is in the zone, so to speak, you know, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, when somebody's full of shit and, and, and that's okay too, I guess. I mean, if that's how you want to, <laughs> I mean, you know, well, look, so I actually had an interesting moment. There's a financial services organization down in Orlando I've done coaching with for the last five years. They bring me in several times throughout the year. And, you know, for me, that burn is that pain that I've been through. And a lot of times people hear that and they think to themselves, well, I don't have a burn like that. I haven't been through something like that. I didn't see what Ben saw with his two eyes before he turned eight years old, you know, 24 hour nursing care in the house, essentially a mom dying before his eyes and then challenges with my father. I wouldn't wish that upon anybody. I hope, I hope your burn is not my burn. But, you know, others, have, they have their own traumatic experiences, something that causes you to say, I want to fight for a friend. I want to fight for whatever it might be. You want to, you know, part of your burn might be, I want to help people realize no matter the challenge and what you overcame, just like my father overcame it, man, it takes a tremendously strong individual to do that. But for some people, that burn, if they haven't been through a lot of challenge and adversity, it might be as simple as something that's short term. And I was with this advisor down in Orlando and he said, man, he's like, I just, that, when I hear you talk about the burn, like I haven't been through what you've been through. I don't, I, it, it's hard for me. And I said, you know, I said last year and I don't really, I, I have revenue goals and, and things that are monetary, but you guys don't hear me talk about money much. But I said for him, I said last year you were building your dream home. When I was here, you were building your dream home. And you were showing up to work differently than you are right now in your daily disciplines because you wanted everything to be perfect for that house. You actually said, you're like, I won't, I won't allow this house to not be exactly what my wife wants, what my kids want. So you did everything you needed to do to create the revenue, to have the business you needed to support the building of that house. I said, at that point in time, that was your burn. I said, so what's the driver now, right? That was a short-term burn build a house, house is built, 
and he lost sight of having something else to work towards. So I gave him an example. I said, look, once again, I, I'm not saying it has to be adversity, but maybe now the next thing is to fully fund your children's college education as fast as you can. Is that, is, is that important to you? And he's like, oh, dude, he's like, that's huge for me. You know, now that we're past this house, like, yes, that's a big goal for us. I said, well, what if you think about that every day? I said, you're not going to want to let your kids down and roll into that first child going to college and say, well, daddy decided that he wasn't going to work hard. Mommy decided that, you know what, even though I showed up to work 225 days, I really only worked 100 because I really didn't want it bad enough to provide this education. So I think whether it's pain that you've been through that lights your ass on fire every day, Mm -hmm. or it's some short-term meaningful goal, we have to choose to connect to that fire if we truly want to perform at our highest level. This, you know, you're right. You're absolutely right. And, you know, and I bet you he, I bet you this guy, whoever he is, I'm sure there's something in his past that he could tie back to that either he's mentally blocked or he's chosen to just not recognize or, um, I mean, I, I feel like everybody has something. There's been a time when somebody said, Hey, you're, you know, you're a fucking idiot or you're, you're fat or, you know, there's been a time, there has to have been a time where something, somebody hurts your feelings over something. And, and that could be that, that could be the burn, you know? Absolutely. <clears throat> but you gotta have enough, but you gotta have enough, um, I don't want to say common sense, but that's the only word that's coming to mind, common sense to recognize those times. So normally I never correct people, but this is, this is a time where I think it's so important that we actually catch the right word. Yeah. So I think what you're wanting to say, it's an awareness. There you it's go. A, it, it's, a, it's a level of awareness where we say, I don't like how this feels. I'm not going to fucking feel this again. And as a result of that, here's what I'm going to do every day. And I also don't curse a lot in interviews, but when I think about being that fat little kid, it pisses me off because I remember I was in fifth grade and we were doing the Presidential Physical Fitness Award. I oh. ran the miles slower than shit and I stood, on, I stood on the scale and I'll never forget there was one of the other students behind me and he called me beluga butt. And, you know, he saw, and I thought to myself, and, and look, I'm a 41-year-old man. I remember, and so part of my burn from a physical, I want to be the best you know, individual I can be from a nutrition and being in shape standpoint, it goes back to that point. As silly as that sounds, somebody calling beluga butt, that burn is still inside of me. I will not go back to being that fat kid. And what, what's ended up happening because I've remained committed to that type of a lifestyle is now I can walk in to sit down with the players or to stand before the players with the Alabama football program and I'm handling my shit every day. I'm pushing my weight in the weight room. I'm pushing myself physically. I'm doing the things that I call the unrequired, the little things that other people won't see, they can't do, they won't talk about, that we choose to make a priority. And I'm doing those little things so I can walk in and be an example and say, yeah, I can talk to you about daily discipline because I'm handling what's on my side of the road. You know what? And that's important, dude. I especially, you know, even as a, like a father also, I think that's probably the most important way to – you know, if you've got kids and, and, and they see you, it's, you know, I'll tell you what made me think of this, which first of all, thank you for, for getting, for the awareness thing, because I just blanked out. That was the common sense. <laughs> but if it was common, if it was common sense, they would be doing it. Right. 
So, um, you know, Ed played uh, at, at the last Arte event. He played a video, and then, oh, man, it was uh, this dad was, and I may butcher it a little bit, but you'll get the gist of it. Um, th this dad was, you know, he was present. He was, you know, he did everything right. He picked his kid up. He took him to school, da-da-da. But he didn't have a job. And so, you know, when he would drop the kid off and he would say he was going to work, the kid knew that he was fucking lying. Mm -hmm. So, and, and the point of the story is, is that your kids know. And it made me think, oh my God, how many times have I said something to my daughter that wasn't true, that I just said it because I didn't want to do something or I said it because whatever the case may be. And she knew, she knew I was lying mm. and it's made me, it's made me second guess every word that I say to her because I don't ever want her to think that of me ever. Cause it was well, a heartbreaking story. Well, you know, I, I can speak to that very well because of the fact that, you know, I watched my mom come to the dinner table with that IV stand. You know, how easy would it have been? Literally, my mom had 24-hour nursing care in our house. Sometimes it took one or two nurses for her to be able to make it to the dinner table to ask me how my day was at school. And I was a seven-year-old boy. And some people say, well, you probably don't remember much about your mom. You wouldn't believe the memories that I have of my mom because that's all I had. And so for us to ever think, it's tremendously naive for us to ever think that our kids aren't paying, attack, paying attention to our action and the things that we say, our kids look up to us to be the example of what they want to become in their lives. That's a tremendous responsibility. And I am far from perfect. I make a high level of mistakes on a consistent basis. But I try the very best I can to explain when I make a mistake, to explain if I maybe say something in a manner in which I didn't want to say it, if I drop a curse word out of frustration. I try to take responsibility because I want my kids to know we don't have to be perfect, but we do have a responsibility to be the best damn example we can be. That's it. You're right. You know, and my wife and I used to, um, we used to talk badly about her ex because we have certain feelings about him because he, he, whatever. I could go into it for a day. <laughs> um, and so what I realized after that is, is that, you know, I, we, we actually did, we actually realized it before that we stopped saying anything negative about him in front of her because the reality was, is that it was just pushing her further away from us is what mm. it was doing. And we didn't really realize it until after we, we were taking um, a course or something. I don't remember what, when it was, um, but something may, helped us realize that, we were doing that. And now since that, since we've made that shift and not, you know, and watch what we say now, it is unreal how apparent it is now to her. I can see it mm. because she can see the actions that he takes. And when he says something, I mean, she knows mm. and, 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 and she'll tell, my mother-in-law yeah you know he he might do that but most likely not and i don't ever want that about me i don't sure. ever fucking want that ever so 
you know, this is super important. If you got kids, dude, if you've got kids, you've got to pay attention to what you say and what you, what you do. And if you tell them you're going to do something, you need to, you need to do it. That's right. So uh, I, I think that's super important. So where, where did you speak the first time? So the first time was Chicago. I was actually in 2004. I started my really started my career. I was a paper broker for three years in Chicago, then moved back to St. Louis and I became a financial advisor with Northwestern Mutual. And I don't say this to impress anybody. It's to impress upon the point. But when life insurance funds your college education, which my mother's life insurance did, then you have a strong affinity for the power of what life insurance can do. So it's not that I shared my mom's story a lot. It's not that I scared people with my mother's story. Look, somebody, you know, my mom, your mom could die by insurance, but people could feel my passion. And I ended up setting some sales records in St. Louis, which was one of the top offices in the United States. And there was an office in Chicago that said, I don't know what the hell you're doing, but we'll pay you 500 bucks and all your expenses to come here and share with us what you're doing. So this was then 2006, two years after I started. And I went and first off, you're thinking to yourself, is that a thing? Like you'll actually pay me to like come and speak. I, I didn't know that was a thing. Right. And so I went and I fell in love more so with the opportunity to connect people to what drives them to be the best that they can be rather than sales language. And I know plenty of sales language organizations bring me in to do sales training. But for me, it was really connecting to that deep rooted purpose to go be your best. And, you know, from there, I just became so passionate about it. You know, I had referrals and doors opened up to continue to speak and I kept doing more of it. I would accept free opportunities to speak, you know, free opportunities were opportunities for me to get my reps in to share my story and to figure out what works, where am I screwing up in communicating with this audience? How can I improve? And still to this day, I pay close attention to, you know, what's working, what's not. I have to break down game film, no different than one of our football players has to break down game film. And so for me, it just kept growing and growing and growing. And at one point in time, I was running two businesses. I was and once again, not to impress anybody, I was in the top 2% of financial advisors in the world. I mean, when I, when I decided to leave Northwestern Mutual, I was part of a team managing $250 million of money. You know, from an insurance standpoint, I was in the top one and a half, two 2% in the company and, you know, going to all the big clubs and all this. And people thought, man, you are crazy. How could you ever leave this career? But, you know, we're only, we're only born once. We only got one shot. Today's the only day that I got. And I realized that, you know, I can go do what I was destined to do. I can go beat that door down the way that I beat down the door of this financial services opportunity. And it's just been a blessing to have great teammates, great mentors, great coaches to help us continue, you know, that fight today. Yeah, that's a cool story. And it's uh, actually an interesting time that you mentioned that because, you know, Ed Milet has stepped, I don't know if stepped down is the right word, but, but for the sake of the conversation, he's stepped away from his advisory role with WFG. Yep. You probably already know all this, sure. but, oh, yeah. and so he's, he's branched out and, and he started a team, Milet service, uh, financial services. And I interviewed one of my second interview actually was uh, Brandy Velasquez. I think is how you say your last name. Super sweet girl. Um, but she said, you're the first person I thought about. And there's in there. And so, she, you know, we had, we were, we started talking 
before uh, Friday, which was the day that I explained to you before we got on here. Yeah. Um, so I, I haven't really got, I haven't really been back in touch with her because I'm a little bit, I don't really know what to think about, about, about the insurance business. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I don't know. You yeah. know what I mean? And so I think I've been a little closed minded to it. For you to enter the insurance business? She, she wants me on her team. Yeah. Oh yeah. What? It, it is an absolutely incredible business. It's a very rewarding business. You know, when you really think about it, I mentioned $100,000 of term insurance funded my college education. My mother's greatest goal was that her kids would receive fully funded college educations. My brother went to Syracuse University. I went to Michigan State because of $100,000 of term insurance. So when, when you really think about beyond, I want to make money, I want to do this, which you can in financial services, but there are little boys like me that need men and women to be in financial services, to ask the tough questions that wouldn't be asked without them, to be the catalyst, to provide the planning that gave me the ability to have that security to go to college where I wanted to go to college, which was my mother's dream. So it's a very rewarding career, but no different than you know any other career. You gotta show up, you gotta get your reps in every day, you gotta pick up that telephone until your fingers bleed, and you gotta have passion, and you gotta have a vision, and a tenacity to get after it one day at a time. Yeah. Now, did you, um, when you entered, but you, you know, your, your why was probably obviously much bigger than mine. I'm trying to find my why, why I would want to get into it. Um, and your story for sure helped. Um, I still don't know if I, I still, I'm still unsure because I don't, I don't know enough about it. I don't, I just don't know. I can sell anything. Take, take, take your time and learn. And that's really not just for you. That's for anybody, you know, is People sometimes they get frustrated. Well, I'm not doing what I think I'm destined to do. Yeah, but where you are right now is exactly where you're supposed to be. So yeah. take your time, own the moments where you are, learn as much as you can where you are, and explore those opportunities and figure out what is for you, what is the next step. And you're going to feel it in your gut if you, if you learn and go through that process, just like everybody else listening. If you go through those doors of a new opportunity and you search to understand and to figure out if it's for you, you're going to get that feeling in your gut and you're going to know. And when you do that and you understand, man, run through that door, beat that sucker down and just get after it and attack the process and things will work out. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because I, um, we, so I, one of <coughs> another RTA brother, he's also in the syndicate, the guy that he's the guy that brought me to the, uh, the last event, which is Chris Saunders. And, and this won't air for probably a couple of months, at least Ben. So it doesn't really matter that I'm telling you now. Um, but he asked, he, he called, he, he asked me to come and help him at his company with, with some sales. And I, I think I mentioned, uh, yeah, I told you earlier, I was struggling with that idea because I don't, I was struggling with having to work for somebody. Um, yep. regardless of that, what the reason behind that is, uh, I'm sure some of it's ego, some of it's, I, you know, I've just, whatever. And so yesterday he called and he said, Hey, he said, uh, he said, why don't you come by the house? And he and his wife are the ones that run the company. And, and I said, okay. And, um, so I got there and they sat me down at a table. They're in the middle of moving. They're building a house. I mean, really didn't have time to do what they did, but they're the, they're great people. First of all. Um, do you know them? Do you know Chris? I don't. He's fantastic. He's such an amazing dude. Anyway, so they sat me down and they said, you know, um, 
They said, you know, we've got this yonder digital company, which is going to be a media company. And, and we, we want you to be a part of it. You asked when, when we kind of started talking, if you had an opportunity to have some ownership in the company, well, I kind of knew that was a long shot. They built the company 15 or 16 years ago. So, but you got to ask the question anyway. Um, And so probably I would say three months ago when I really registered that he was starting this digital company and I wasn't even really sure three months ago I had this, I, I had an idea pop in my head with my morning meditation. I'm like, I feel like there's a, I feel like I, I may be a part of that. And it was an intuition. I don't know how to explain it. You do know what I'm talking about though. Hmm. Um, and so when they sat me down, they're like, I, we want you to be a part of it. We don't know what it looks like yet, but you're the perfect person for it. You're the exact person we need for this company. He said, I can't do both companies. He said, I just can't. And, and, and you're the only person that I know that could help me. And, and, and we'll give you ownership in the company. We don't know what that looks like yet. We got to figure that out and we're moving and blah, blah, blah. But what do you think? And I said, same thing. I just told you three months ago, I had this, something popped in my head about this business that I would need to be a part of it. And so, um, and again, I don't, I don't know the ins and outs of it, but I trust these two people enough that I was like, yeah, of course I'll, I'll be a part of it and we'll figure out the rest of it what do you need me to do? He said, well, I don't really need you to do anything for about two weeks. I said, great. Cause I got some shit in China I'm trying to work on. So let me get that done and then we'll, we'll resume. But it's really cool that they, that they want me to be a part of the company and pretty Absolutely. much it, it, what it sounds like is he wants me to kind of run it. That's awesome. What a great, it is. It really is. So, so there again, struggle because I, I can't do the, the insurance thing and the, the other thing. So, sure. uh, you know, have to make that choice. Um, so uh, we got, we got about five or six more minutes before we wrap up, Ben. So, um, what was I going to ask you? Um, I guess tell, I, I guess share something with the listeners, some, something maybe that you think, has been one of the most effective things that you've shared with other people that you feel like could change their life today. If they're hearing this or when they hear this, um, we've talked about the time thing. We know that's important and, and we can't emphasize that enough. Yeah. But so what, there's, there's, there, there's two things that I would say. Number one is, is what I call the unrequired. And I mentioned it earlier, but that unrequired mindset, it's the things that other people can't see, they won't talk about, they won't do, that we choose to make a priority. And so for everybody listening, whatever your endeavor is, or if you're currently maybe somebody else's in between opportunities, it's maybe something physically that they're working on, they're challenging themselves, is we all know what we need to do to look in the mirror and say, man, I gave it my best. But how do we add 10% to that? Or what if we added two reps to that? Or what if we added 10 minutes of it? So it's the unrequired piece, the piece that other people, they won't do it, that we choose to make a priority. And when you enter into that zone of doing the unrequired, you create a gap and a level of confidence that you can attack anything. And so the unrequired is, is so important. Uh, there's more that you guys can actually check out at unrequired.com. So theunrequired.com. So incredible things you can learn there. 
And then the other piece is standard over feelings. I always talk to people, don't allow your feelings to dictate how you show up, dominate and live to the standard every single day. And far too often, and we don't have enough time to get into the whole conversation, but people aren't believing enough in themselves. They're not tapping into their extra potential. They're not taking the necessary action and they're not getting the results that they want. The highest performers, they connect to that burn. They connect to that belief. They grab that extra potential one day at a time. They not only perform the action, but they do the unrequired, which then drives results. But the highest performers, when they get results, they are not seduced by success, which is the ultimate in allowing your feelings to dictate how you show up. It doesn't matter what they achieved yesterday. It doesn't matter what they think they're going to achieve tomorrow. The highest performers say, it felt so good to give it my best. How much further can I push it tomorrow? And they go right back to believing themselves, right back into grabbing that extra potential, right back into the action with the unrequired, and they keep getting results, and they keep waking up, pounding away at that door saying, I want more. I haven't seen my best yet. And when you live a life where that becomes the standard, not allowing your feelings to dictate how you show up, oh, look what I sold yesterday. I don't have to work today. Don't you know what I'm going to sell tomorrow? I don't have to work today. We have to stop living in our feelings, stop making excuses, and go live the life that you're destined to live by making the right choices. And I'll leave everybody with this. It's the greatest life lesson I've ever learned from anybody, and it comes from my mom. It's not how long you live, it's how you choose to live your life. You have an opportunity to show up every single day, great effort, great attitude, great belief, all 100% in the choices that you make. So get out, attack it every day, silence the excuses, let go of the fears, doubts, and the uncertainties, and just go write the story you were destined to write. That's right. Because all that stuff that we hear that, that stops us, if you're one of those people that, that do get stopped, all those things are just, it's just bullshit. It's just chatter. That's right. You just have to learn yeah. how to stop it. So, Amen Ben, thank that, you. Man. Thank you so much, brother. I really, really, really appreciate it. And, uh, man, I've been looking forward to this for I can't even tell you how long. So thank you so I much. I appreciate brother. it as well. Thank yes, you. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. If you took anything away from this podcast, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, and go check out some other episodes on SuccessfulLifePodcast.com. This, 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 this is the Successful Life. Thank you for tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. We hope today's insights have ignited your passion and provided tools to shape your leadership journey. Remember, greatness is a journey, not a destination. Continue your pursuit by exploring more resources and insights over at coreybarrier.com. Until next time, keep leading, keep learning, and keep striving for excellence. Stay inspired and see you on the next episode.